Today we are going to talk a little bit about one of the um, pillars of our faith, the foundations of a Christian faith, and understand more about what this book says, because there's a lot of misconceptions in our world today about what the Bible says. I was uh, looking online at some interesting and bizarre things that people have put into law and um, thought that you might find some of them kind of interesting. Many of these laws were established in the late 1800s and early 1900s when uh, the United States was changing from uh, an agricultural uh, to an industrial nation. And so some of these laws have been repealed, but some of them are still in the books. They're just not enforced. And uh, that can be a good thing because you'll hear some of what uh, they are. Um, One that I found said that in Wilbur, Washington, it's illegal to ride an ugly horse. I don't know who gets to be the judge of that, but but that's the law that's in place. In Quitman, Georgia, chickens may not cross the road. That is a law that is written into their books. In fact, in Mojave County, Arizona, if anyone is caught stealing soap, he must wash himself with it until the soap is gone. Could you imagine trying to do that today to a criminal if they stole something like that? Um, First cousins may marry in Utah. This is on the books. First cousins may marry in Utah, but only after they're 65 years old. I think I get that, but um, I I won't comment on that. Did you know that in illegal, uh, it's illegal in California, and that's, we live here, so it's good for us to know this. It's illegal in California to lick toads. No lie. Apparently some people were licking toads to get high. There's a, there's a secretion that toads emit, but it was causing some people to be poisoned by it as well, and so they made it illegal to lick toads. So don't go doing that today. Now, a Colorado law states that a man cannot marry his wife's grandmother. Which, I don't put that past Colorado, um, because they probably are all smoking marijuana, and so that's what they want to do after they smoke marijuana, right? Because that's another law that they have in place. In Morrisville, Pennsylvania, it's illegal for a woman to wear cosmetics without a permit. A woman in Memphis, Tennessee is not allowed to drive a car unless a man is in front of the car waving a red flag and warning people and other cars. I'm not making this up. You could not make these up. In Eureka, Nevada, it's illegal for men who have mustaches to kiss women. In Seattle, it's illegal to carry a concealed weapon of more than six feet in length. <laughs> Think about that, right? I'm not even six feet tall. Where, where, do, you, where do you hide these things, right? Um, th- this is just, this is kind of not funny. It's just a point of interest. Buying ice cream on Sundays was illegal in Ohio because it was thought to be frivolous and luxurious. However, consequently, it says, ice cream vendors would put fruit on top of the ice cream and make it more nutritious. That's how we got the name ice cream 
There you go. There you go, right? In Kentucky, a woman is forbidden to wear a bathing suit on a highway unless she is armed with a club or is escorted by at least two officers. Now, get this. It says, an amendment says that the provisions of this statute shall not apply to a female weighing less than 90 pounds or exceeding 200 pounds. (laughs) And I will not comment on that whatsoever. You know, in Lexington, Kentucky, it is against the law to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. And last one, policemen are allowed to bite a dog if they think it will calm the dog down in Ohio. Strange, huh? I mean, at some point in some time, those laws had to have made sense for someone. Well, there's a lot of people today, maybe even you are one of them, who think that in this word, there's nothing but a bunch of old laws and rules and regulations. And maybe you haven't read what's in here, but you've been told that that's what it's filled up with, and so it really doesn't apply today. And I just want to tell you that that cannot be farther from the truth. Because the true story in here is about a God seeking a relationship with his people, desiring that relationship, his people turning and going their own way, and God saying, okay, I will make a payment to allow you to be able to come back into a relationship with me. And so it's a story about a God who is pursuing, pursuing humankind. And that love that he gives to us is revealed through what he calls and what Scripture calls grace. Grace that is given by the Son of Jesus Christ for us. Not a rule you have to follow, but grace that is received. And if, if that's kind of hard to understand, and today you might be hearing this for the very first time, for others of you, of you who have heard this year and year and year again, I pray that this is presented in a new and a fresh way because this grace is just incredible what God has given to us. But maybe you're like a man in in the Bible who couldn't really understand grace. It was a man by the name of Nicodemus, and his story is told in John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 3. And Nicodemus couldn't understand grace because he was more of a rule follower. In fact, that's where he was more comfortable, is following rules. He was a Pharisee. And Pharisees liked to make rules so that they could keep people under their thumb. In fact, so they could kind of even keep God in a box. And so Nicodemus is is not so sure about Jesus because Jesus is not a rule follower. He seems to be a rule breaker for what Nicodemus has set up. And so John chapter 3 verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews... And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus kind of stops him right there and says, you know, uh, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you that unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus gets all confused like this because he's not sure what this born again means and he's not sure of how you operate outside of what he knows. In fact, he says in verse 4, how in the world am I going to crawl back into my mother's womb? That cannot happen. This does not make sense to me. And Jesus stops him and says, verse 5, 
I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so he's talking in this different realm. And for some of you who have been around here for a while, you've heard me use this phrase, but others of you may, this might be the first time you heard this. We have a phrase around here that goes like this. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. And what I mean by that is if you are born a physical death or a a physical life, as we all are, that unless you are born again of a spiritual life, then you will die twice. You will die a physical death and you will die a spiritual death. However, if you are born again, born twice, then you will only die a physical death. You will not die a spiritual death as well. And so this is explained to Nicodemus. He's not sure about it. He's kind of questioning. We see him throughout Scripture kind of weave in and out of passages. But what Jesus introduced to him was a spiritual element that God wanted to give. And he was introducing himself as being that one who brings that grace to people. And so that's what we're going to talk about. You have your outline in front of you. It says, what good is grace? We're going to say, what is grace? Who gets it? How do we get it? And what does it mean when we, when we receive it? And maybe even what does it mean when you don't receive that grace? So let's just go right through this. And if you notice, the letters right on down spell G-R-A-C-E, grace. The G stands for God's gift to me. God's gift to me. And it is a total gift. And I know this can be difficult for us to understand because we live in a society where basically we earn everything we get. You've heard some of the saints, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Or there's no such thing as a free lunch. People tell you, oh, there's a free lunch. No, there's always some sort of string that's attached. God helps those who help themselves. You don't get something for free. Those kind of saints. Because everything in the American life is you get what you pay for. It may even be kind of called the the Protestant work ethic. You put in a hard day's work, and you get something in return. You don't work, you don't get it in return. And that's all fine, except when it comes to our relationship with God, because God doesn't relate to us on our performance, but on His grace. And that is good news, because our performances would never uh, measure up. In fact, I'm not sure about what's true for you, but on my laptop at home and even my keyboard here at the office, the most used button on my laptop is the delete button or the backspace. Because hey, I make a lot of errors. I, in fact, when I'm writing with a, pen or pencil or a, with, a, with a pencil, my eraser always goes down before my lead does. In fact, my pencils are still very long when my eraser goes down. Because I'm always erasing, I'm always changing, I'm always thinking something different, or I miswrite, or I mistype. I'm sure the same is true with many of you. Could you imagine if your entrance into heaven was dictated upon never making another typing error for the rest of your life? That you had to be perfect to be able to get into heaven. I mean, you couldn't do it, could you? 
And that's kind of what our culture is permeated with, this thought, what do I have to do? Can I be good enough? Can I do good enough to be able to get into heaven? The truth is, is that you cannot be perfect enough to get into a perfect place. Each of us do way, way too many of the backspace delete buttons with the errors that we do. And that's why God stepped in and said, the only admission that you will ever get into my kingdom is through a gift that I give to you, is through grace. And it is grace alone, by the way, not with anything else. Look at this verse out of Romans 11. It says, but it is by grace, and this is Paul writing to the Romans, it is by grace, it is, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be what? Grace would no longer be grace. Works are not a part of the equation. Please hear that. Works are not a part of the equation. And unfortunately, for thousands of years, religion, and I call it religion, has put people under their thumb trying to show that it is to get them to do what they need to do. It is not. It is by grace. It is a free gift that God gives to you. Chuck Swindoll writes this in his book, Grace Awakening. He says, a salvation that begins with God's love, reaching down to lost humanity and is carried out by Christ's death and resurrection, results in all the praise going to God. He says, but salvation that includes human achievement, hard work, personal effort, even religious deeds, distorts the good news because man gets the glory, not God. He goes on to say, Grace says you have nothing to give, nothing to earn, nothing to pay. You couldn't if you tried. Salvation is a free gift. You simply lay hold of what Christ has provided, period. And yet the heretical doctrine of works goes on all around the world, and it always will until Christ comes back again. It's effective because the pride of men and women is so strong. We simply have to do something in order to feel right about it. It just doesn't make good humanistic sense to get something valuable for nothing. But as Paul wrote, grace wouldn't be grace if it included something that we had to do. And so you say, okay, I can maybe buy into that slightly, but how do you get this grace? Well, the R in your outline is it's received by faith. Received by faith. Grace is received by faith, not by church attendance, not by good works, not by being baptized, not by taking communion, not by receiving the sacraments, not by paying a penance. None of those are in the equation. It is only by faith and faith alone. It is by faith that we receive it. In fact, look at the verse there out of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works, because then you're going to go around boasting about it. And it won't be dependent upon God giving it to you. Now you say, okay, well, how is that possible? How does God just give me something for free? He does this because there is no way that you could have possibly earned it. 
You cannot be good enough. And so he gives it to you for free. In fact, let me share it a little bit this way. Um, Jaron and Danae Blythe, um, I shared their story in the fall time. Some of you might have seen the picture here. In the fall, they were contacted on one Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday of the week, where um, they had Layla um, was in foster care, and they were given the opportunity to receive this little girl uh, as a foster adopt type of circumstance. Jaron and Danae totally weren't expecting this, but they had made themselves available to this. And I shared with you how even Layla had been prayed over when she was just a little baby in the NICU. Matt and Jessica Stricker had met this little baby when she was being um, nursed to health in her very early days because their son was also in the NICU. So they'd already prayed for this baby. They put it together after I shared the story that that was Layla. And now Layla was arriving in Jaron and Danae's home with nothing but the clothes on her back. And I shared that with all of you, and as a church family, you came around them and gave them clothes and games and little girl things for her room and other things like that. Well, as of, this is the rest of the story, as of February 13th of this past month, Layla is now adopted by Jaron and Danae. And she is their child. Here's a picture of them signing the formal documents for it. There's a picture there of the judge who was with them, and they're with their other son, whom they also adopted. They were surrounded by family members, and they were surrounded by church family, about, I don't know if it was 35, 40, 45 people that was in that courthouse room to witness this. And and it was just a wonderful moment of coming together and and praying for this family, praying for this little girl, and seeing the formal documents of it coming about. Now, now here's the story I want to make, or the connection I want to make. In her helpless state, Layla could not do anything for this to come about. Jaron and Danae chose to love her. No strings attached. They said, we have some love to give. This child was brought into their lives. They said, we want to do this. There was nothing she could do to earn their love. They just chose to give her their love and will now for, for the rest of their lives. They chose that because now she is legally their daughter. Same sort of thing happens with our relationship with God. When God chooses us, he chooses us to give his love, shower his love upon. If he made you, he created you, he did so to love you. And the way that his love is given to you is by what Jesus did for us, and it's received by faith. Look at the verse here out of Romans chapter 4, verse 16. It says, that's why it even depends upon faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all. It's done through faith because it is given through grace. God's love is not based upon your performance. God's love is based upon his promise to you. His promise that he loves you. He cares for you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Those promises are throughout Scripture. It's not just a big rule book. That love is shown page after page after page after page, beginning in the Old Testament and culminating with what Christ did for us in the New Testament and sharing what life is going to be like at the end of time in the book of Revelation. And throughout Scripture, it continues to say, God's grace and His love are poured out on you, poured out on you, poured out on you. Who? Well, there's the next question. Who can receive this kind of grace? 
The A stands for it's available to all. Available to all. God does not play favorites. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter the sins that you've committed. It doesn't matter what you have done. Let me say that again. It does not matter what you have done. I know there are some people in here, well, we all come to this place, where we just maybe kick ourselves for some of the stupid things that we have done in life. Right? The dumb things maybe that we have done or said. And we don't feel very good in those moments about ourselves. In fact, we don't look very good either because maybe we are dripping with sin. Maybe it was something that you did this last week. Maybe it was something that you have in your mind that pops up years and years and years and years ago. But you don't look very good. In fact, here, here's what I would say if you want to see how it looks to God. Um, wake up at 3 a.m. This, this next morning, like, like tomorrow morning. And uh, wake up at 3 a.m. and just go into the, the bathroom and look in the mirror and pop on the light and see how you look at 3 a.m. Not a great picture, right? I mean, your hair is all over the place. You are just unkept. You got bo- eye boogers going on. You are just not in a good place at all. Well, even when our hearts look like that, from things we have done or said or just even thought. God says, my grace is still available to you. It's available to anyone and all. In fact, Romans 10, 13 says it like this. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. What does that everyone mean? Does it mean just those who, you know, are good looking? Does it mean just those who shop at certain stores? Does it mean just those who have a certain education? No. It means everyone. In fact, you may not look at yourself as an object of worth, but God says you are priceless. Priceless. There was a show that became popular a number of years ago called uh, Antiques Roadshow. Any of you have seen the show, Antiques Roadshow? Okay, many, many more downstairs than upstairs. Um, it's still on today. No comment of why. It's still on today. It's where people bring in these antique collectibles, uh, kind of stuff that maybe they have up in their attic or stuff that they've had in their family for years, and they see if, if it has any value or worth. And so the, um, kind of the discussion goes on, and the person is filmed as someone tells them what their object is either worth or not worth. And so I want you to watch this clip as one of the Antique Roadshow appraisers tells a woman about some old baseball cards and letters from the baseball players that she has in her possession and watch her reaction when explains that how much it's valued at. Go ahead and take a look. Well, what you have... Yeah, holy smokes is right, huh? What some believe is junk, others would say one million dollars. And you might be here today and say, I have no worth. God looks at you and says, priceless. Priceless. And that is available. God's grace is available to anyone and everyone 
based just upon what Jesus has done for us. In fact, his sacrifice on the cross is the only way that a holy God can relate to unholy people. As we are in our sinful state, his holiness is only received, or we can only be in relationship with him because of what Jesus has done on the cross. You say, okay, well, well, how can that be done? That's where the C comes in. The C in the acronym grace relates to it comes through Christ. It comes through Christ. Acts 15, 11 says, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. That's how we are saved. Grace is free. It's available to all, but it only comes through Christ and what he has done for us. About five, six weeks ago, we um, took a trip to Haiti I shared some about that trip that we took to Haiti. I was able to lead work projects, and my wife was able to lead the medical projects. And um, the medical team got called on an assignment that was kind of off to a remote village up over some mountain ranges, and they were told to get there, they would have to go along some pretty dusty roads and kind of gave them some, some awkward conditions that they would have to be going through to get to the place that they were going. And, I, you know, when, when that was first presented to them, I could see them kind of wondering, is there another way that we can get to this place? And here's where they were headed up into a green kind of village and sorts. But to do so, they were going to have to go through some very dusty, winding, treacherous roads. And in fact, here's a picture from as they were arriving up on the mountainside and the roadway that's kind of leading through where they were going. In America, we think, well, you know what? If you want to get to someplace, there's a lot of different ways you could do that. If, you, if I said I'm going to go to San Francisco, I could fly out of the Stockton Airport. I could also go north up to uh, I-5 and cut over on the 80. I can go north and cut over on the 12. I could go south and go to the 205 up to the 580. You could even go south down I-5 and cut over. I believe it's on 33 and then come up Highway 1. A lot of different ways you can get to San Francisco. But they were told, oh no, there's only one way that you're going to go that you can arrive at this place. In fact, what they said, go ahead, Matt, show the next slide there, is that they were going to have to wear these um, sheets over their heads, which makes it look like they kind of joined another cult or another religion, right? (laughs) They didn't. Um, But they had to wear these sheets because of the dust that they were going to incur from the travel that they were on. But it was only one way to get into this village. You know, that same thing is true when Jesus comes And he says, "Um, realize this, I am the way, John 14, 6. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven. No one gets into a relationship with God except through me. You say, well, why, why Jesus? Why is he the only way that's through him? Because he's the only one who paid the price And I don't see a bunch of other people volunteering to pay that price. And he's the only one who is even worthy of being able to pay that price because he was sinless, perfect sacrifice given for you and for me. In fact, let me explain a little different way because I know it's kind of hard to to understand this, this free gift that God's given to us. Look at it this way. Let's say you get home today and you have a wrapped package on your doorstep. You look at that and you say, oh, great, it's a gift for me. I'll open it up, I'll enjoy whatever's in it. Well, it's free to you, but somebody paid for it, right? I mean, it's free to you, 
but somebody wrapped that package up to give it to you. You say, it's free to you, but somebody delivered that package and put it on your doorstep. Somebody paid that price. Jesus paid that price for us to be able to be in relationship with God the Father. Now, I know that there are people in this room who say, you know, that is just so hard to to understand because when Jesus says, I'm the only way, we have so many different religions. How do you know yours is the right way? How do you know yours is the only way? That seems so narrow-minded, Pastor Brad, to say Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And, and we do. We live in this postmodern society where there are so many different religions that have said, oh, well, they're all going to end up in heaven. It doesn't matter which way you go up. That's not what the Bible says. Please hear me on this. And you can call me narrow-minded if you need to. But Scripture says that only through what Jesus has done for us do we be in relationship with God the Father. And that may sound narrow-minded. That may sound very exclusive. And I get the rub of that. I get it that you say, why do you think it's just your way is the only way? I get that that sounds very narrow-minded unless it's true. And if it's true, then we have to follow it. And if you're a Christ follower, you have staked your life on the fact that that is true. And we can't be accepting every other religion into that and understand, well, we're all going to arrive there some way. That's not what Jesus taught. And if you're a Christ follower, you follow what Jesus taught. And Jesus taught that he's the only way to God the Father. And that's why we share our faith. And that's why we do mission work. And that's why we go out to places. You know, I get it. We stood in Haiti and to look at the marketplace and to look all around there and to see the busyness of all that place and to realize, okay, we're coming here to tell them the only way is Jesus. I get it that that sounds kind of awkward and it sounds narrow-minded unless it's true. If you're a Christ follower and you follow this word, you believe that it is true. And so that's why we take those steps to do what we do. But perhaps you're someone here today who says, I'm not buying it quite yet. I I, I can't just accept that it's just one thing. And maybe you're even here today and you're not sure where you would go if you were to die today. Well, let me fill in the E, last part of the GRACE acronym. And that is that E is eternal life. Eternal life. And the truth of the matter is, is that we will all live forever. You get to choose where you live, heaven or hell. And when you choose heaven, when you choose Christ, then that grace is given to you and it lasts forever. You can't lose it. In fact, Romans 6.23 says it like this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus is our Lord. That's the free gift. That's the eternal life that we give. Gift is given until, not until you sin again. It's not a gift that is given until you commit one of the mortal sins and then you're kicked out and then you have to pay an extra penance and get it all right. No. God saves you by His grace and He keeps you by His grace because there's nothing you can do to earn it and there's nothing you can do to unearn it if it is truly accepted. 
And that may be where the rub comes in for some of us because we do not know. We cannot tell ultimately the nature of someone's heart and the openness of someone's heart. That's where God is God. And he's the one who decides if it's truly accepted. Now, I know that kind of brings up some questions that people might have. Things like, well, you know what? Then I get a license to sin, right? If I can't unearn God's grace, I can just do whatever I want to do. It really doesn't matter. Well, yeah, you can think that. But you know what answer I would give to you? If that's what you're saying, why don't I just go sin? It really doesn't matter. Here would be my answer. Why don't you go ahead and just do whatever you want to do? And then you come back and you tell me. You come back and you tell me after your spirit has been broken and you've grieved the spirit of God. You come back and you tell me about the broken hearts of yourself and others who loved you and cared about you and your broken down body and your broken spirit. You come back and tell me about the consequences that you have faced that God wants to save you from by giving you this grace. You tell me. In fact, truth be known, there's a lot of people in this congregation who've gone down that road. Any one of them can tell you. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. God's grace is given to us. And what his grace means is that when we fall down, he is there to pick us up. That's what his grace is. It's not a grace of a cheap grace to go out, well, I can do whatever I want. I have a license to sin. It's a grace that says, come on, I'll pick you back up. So people say, well, you know, why would would God even care that much? I mean, seriously, why doesn't he just boot me out when I've screwed up as much as I've messed up? Why, why does he even care that much? Well, let me, um, let me give you it in this sort of a way. This is um, a baseball card. We saw what the baseball cards were worth of this one gal who uh, had many of them, old cards. This is a newer card. Let me say this represents your life. There's this phrase in Scripture that is... The phrase, in Christ. And in the Greek, that word, in Christ, is in Scripture over 100 times. About 120 times it's given in Scriptures. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Here's what it means. When we go through life, what life does to us is this. And for any of those who know baseball cards, and you know you would never do this to a baseball card, you'd never tear it up and tatter it because it loses its value and it loses its worth. But when we go through life, life kind of tears us up, it takes the corners, it bends them, it trashes us, it makes us look a lot like this. What the phrase in Christ gets at when Paul writes that in the New Testament is when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior... Christ takes us, and he renews us, and he restores us, and physically, physically, we probably get back to this state. But spiritually, watch what happens. The phrase, in Christ, refers to how we are now hidden in Christ. And when God views us, he does not view our lives like this, torn up, battered, shattered, torn, torn apart. But he views us by now what Christ has done for us. 
This is how he sees us, a pristine Bible or whatever it may be. He doesn't see us as we really are covered with sin. He sees us as now perfect. He sees us as now priceless because he sees us through what Jesus has done for us. We don't pay those consequences. Now, earthly, we still do. We still look probably abused and torn up because that's what we do to our lives. But spiritually, we're now in Christ. And that's how he sees us. And the Bible says that's how God sees you 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life. No more tears, no more mangled corners, no crumble. He sees you in Christ. And here's the thing about that. When you begin to see yourself that way, now you don't see this as a religion that we do. You see it as a relationship, an active, growing relationship. And you want to come to worship because you want to worship God. You want to open up His Scripture because you see that He can teach you and you see the love that comes through Scripture. You want to be involved in, in, in the Bible study or growing and blessing others. You want to be involved in serving. You want to be involved in giving. That's why I said, you know, for those of you who call this your home, we want to give. We want to bless the Lord. We want to do that because we understand now how God sees us through grace. Through grace. In fact, back in the fall, we had these books that we put out. Many of you picked them up, purchased them. Um, If you're here today for the first time, we have one of these available for you at the Next Step Center. It's in the gift bag that we give to you. I I challenge you to read through some of these stories. Because through these stories, you see people who have been torn up by life, but now you see them in Christ. And one of the great stories in there is a story by a man named Ben Cook. And the title of the story is, How Many Ways to Heaven? And he comes to the conclusion in his life, there's only one way, through Jesus. He was invited to church on Mother's Day because he didn't want to disappoint mom. And he never stopped going because of the grace that he heard. And if you read that story, and if you have some questions of what this relationship is like, Ben actually teaches a Sunday school class, just a small group of people who just open up God's Word every Sunday morning, and you can sit in dialogue with him and understand more about what it means to be a Christ follower and what it means to have your life changed by what Jesus has done for us. In fact, on the back of your bulletin, I wrote up the new series that's going to begin next Sunday. You do not want to miss next Sunday. Next Sunday will be one of those days that you say, I remember that service for the rest of my life. Where you're going to hear and see some people's stories that are now no longer my story, but his story. Because when our story becomes his story, our story becomes history. And it's gone, it's finished, it's through. So what keeps you from doing that? What's keeping perhaps you from today from receiving that grace that God's offering you through His Son, Jesus Christ? If you've not received it yet, what are you fearful of? What are you afraid of? Maybe that God won't love you. Maybe that God in some way will make you the first person that He rejects in the history of mankind. Maybe that you can't be forgiven Maybe there's some hidden sin, some skeleton in your closet. In fact, maybe you even thought of that one sin that's been a part of your life that's been chasing you. When I bring up a skeleton in the closet, maybe you're thinking, you know the truth of the matter is? Whatever popped into your mind, that's exactly why Jesus came for you. 
that's exactly what God's grace is for. For you. I know hundreds of you have already accepted that. But I know there's others in here who have not yet. And so why don't we pause for just a moment. If you've accepted that grace in your life, pray for the people on your left and your right. And if you have not, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray that you will know how to do that before you leave here. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace, your amazing grace that is a gift to us. Nothing that we could do to have to earn, nothing that we could do to be good enough. It's simply a grace that's given by your spirit through Jesus, what he did to us. God, I thank you for the literally hundreds of people across this worship center who at one time or another in their lives accepted that grace. They know they're one of your children. They've been born again. They know the spiritual life that awaits for them. God, I praise you for that revelation that they've had in their life. In fact, folks, just, just as a way of being able to affirm that decision that you have made, every head bow, every eye closed, if you don't mind, just you know that you have accepted Christ through grace, and you know that Jesus is Lord of your life, you know that heaven awaits for you, would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand? Just say, I have prayed that prayer. I know Jesus is Lord and Savior. Praise God. Praise God. Hundreds of hands across this auditorium. Thank you. You can put your hands down. So let me now ask the second question. If today you have not prayed that prayer, to say, God, I want to receive Jesus into my life. Or you don't know if you did. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Would you make sure of it now? There is no greater gift that you could get. And so even as I say these words, would you just repeat them in in your heart? Jesus, I, I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. I realize now that you paid the price that I should have paid. And today I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I accept you as now Lord and Savior. And I want to live my life for you. I want to follow your ways, not other ways, but your ways. God, I accept you now by faith. Nothing I have to do, but simply believing that you are God's son. I accept you now. And folks, today, if you have prayed a prayer like that, Scripture said that there are angels who are dancing in heaven and celebrating for just one. And you are now a part of the everyone's. Everyone who believes shall be called a son of God, a daughter of God. And so if you prayed that prayer here today, can I just ask you to do one thing? Can I just ask you if you would just to lift up your hand just as a point that I can see it and make eye contact with you? To say, praise God that you're in the family. Praise God. Praise God. I see a lot of you up in the balcony. Absolutely. Praise God. Downstairs, thank you. Absolutely. Praise God. Anybody else? Anyone else? Way up in the balcony. Yep, got you, both of you. Praise God. Praise God. God, we give you all the glory and praise for that. That these people are now a part of your family. And folks, even as you acknowledge that, if if after this service, if you don't mind just going by the Next Step Center, 
They have some information for you. They have a Bible for you, some literature for you to read and understand and understand what fully this decision means. That by grace you are now one of God's children. By grace now you live and you walk and you breathe and you operate differently. We want to help you take those steps. In fact, I will be at the Next Step Center if you would just like to talk and discuss more about what that decision means. Thank you. Thank you, God, for allowing your spirit to be upon these people who, who claim you as Lord and Savior, who say yes to you. And so, Lord, we join in history, even as they pave the roads along Jerusalem, shouting Hosanna, God, save us. God, you now save. You now save. Jesus, we claim you as Lord. We claim you as Messiah. We join with millions across this world who exalt your name now. And we give you worthy, we give you glory and honor and praise. Would you receive it now as we sing together? We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. Amen.